Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONECURCITYCAST20. So Portland is definitely a bicycling town. But right now, advocates are working to make our city an e-bike town. The city and the state are looking at offering rebates for people who purchase bikes with pedal-assisted electric motors. But will Portland embrace the possibility of an influx of e-bikes zipping through the bike lanes? Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking with Bike Portland editor Jonathan Moss about the future of e-bike incentives and how they could radically change our city. It's Tuesday, May 16th. I'm John Natariani, in for Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Jonathan, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So we're talking about e-bikes today. And I mean, there is a lot of interest in e-bikes. There's a lot of e-bikes already on the road. And uh, people are trying to make it easier for people in Portland to get these e-bikes in the near future. I mean, I've heard there's federal and state and city incentives that are in the works, but could you tell us a little bit about what is coming potentially in Oregon and Portland specifically for people who might want to get an e-bike themselves? Yeah, there's two two main ones, I think. There's a bill right now in the House uh, from the House Committee on Climate, Energy, and the Environment. Uh, it pa- it's passed uh, with flying colors. It's like bipartisan support. This is like what we're calling like the e-bike rebate bill, uh, House Bill 2571, if anybody wants to look. So it's passed through committee, but all it is right now is it's sitting in basically like the budget committee. And just to back up a bit, mm-hmm. the bill would actually provide rebates uh, for anybody in Oregon that buys an e-bike from a bike shop. So if you qualify as a low-income Oregonian, so that's they're, they're saying that's 80% of average median income, you can receive $1,200 back on the purchase of your e-bike if this bill was to pass. And if you don't qualify for just a regular taxpayer, you would get $400 back toward the purchase of your e-bike according to this bill. So they're asking for $6 million over two years to help get yeah. it funded. So uh, yeah, there's a chance that could pass. There's a lot of support uh, from what I've heard from from sources in Salem, there is at least one lawmaker on that committee who's pretty keen on the bill and wants to make it one of their priorities. So, But it is essentially competing with all the other revenue interests uh, in the state. So it's very competitive. Uh, so we should know in the next couple of weeks what the result of that one is. Oh my gosh. I mean, $1,200 discount, that's not shabby at all. That is a really significant change. And and is this stacking with potential changes in Portland too? Is there stuff that we're looking at at a city level? Yeah, there is definitely one effort at the city, one initiative at the city too, that is really worth watching. I, folks might have remembered hearing about the Portland Clean Energy Fund. This is a tax on large corporations. It's going to fund uh, projects that help uh, mitigate climate change for communities of color and other marginalized communities and stuff like that. Uh, they have in their current sort of like capital investment plan that they're about to get into uh 
completed form. It's in draft form now. They have about $100 million over the next five years to spend on transportation. And what they've already said they're going to do specifically for an e-bike rebate program would be to spend $20 million of that over the next five years to help people get e-bikes. So that's pretty exciting. It goes in front of city council uh, in September. Uh, and there's some uh, like Q&A, public hearing kind of things coming up in the next couple of weeks that folks can chime in on. But uh, the details, unfortunately, we don't know exactly what the details are of that, mm -hmm. that program through the Clean Energy Fund, but it is going to be probably similar. I would assume that they are going to be smart enough to just model it on. That's what's happening now is that these rebate programs have gotten popular enough and they're, they're available in enough cities and states that folks are just basically copying other programs. How would that change the city? Why is this such a good idea? It would change the city, I think, in a lot of ways. We'd see a lot, uh, a just, I think, a different type of bike rider in, in the bike lanes around Portland for the most part, just a more diverse range of folks, right? Age-wise, color of skin-wise, uh, body shape-wise, everything. One of the things I think that's held cycling back in Portland for years is that just the nature of cycling here and a lot of cities in America really is that it's not super comfortable. Uh, it can be uncomfortable, I should say. You start layering on the various things uh, and especially, you know, in terms of what e-bikes erase, which is some of the, the hardship of riding, right? Like I said, it makes it so much easier. It just, if people look at who's riding Bike Town, let's say the, the city's bike share system, those are all e-bikes. Uh, and I, you'll notice if you if you do look at who rides Bike Town, they're not necessarily your typical, your more typical Portland cyclist that I think people have in their, the image they have in their mind. So I think it's a similar audience. So, um, and and everything of like, you know, how how the city chooses what, are, what should be bike routes could be different yeah, because you can yeah. go faster and up hills and stuff like that. So there's going to be a lot of changes. And like conceivably, there's going to be a time where like, okay, maybe you're not going to pull out your road bike and show up somewhere in your like cycling kit and covered in sweat. But if you had a e-bike, you can use it more like you might use a car or, yeah. you know, it, it, but it sort of becomes like an intermediate, like almost more like a electric moped or something. I mean, I think the other reason these have a lot of political heft right now is the, this, like, like you said, the idea of a car replacement. I mean, as bike advocates, bike advocates have tr been trying to make that point for decades, right? That you could bike instead of drive. But obviously there's a lot of people that are just like, what are you talking about? I can't do all my shopping on a, on a regular bike. And, and, but now when you realize that a lot of these electric bikes also have really great cargo capacity, so they have got buckets you can throw gear in. Right. And then the fact that physically it's just going to be easier because you have a motor, these are car replacements. You're seeing yeah. like, if you go to any school in Portland, the majority of people picking up their kids are going to have these cargo e-bikes and they can put two, three kids on them and they can stop for the groceries on the way home. So yeah, you can get a lot done with these things. Well, I do have a bunch more questions about e-bikes, specifically about how much it costs to maintain them. But first, let's take a quick break. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I did want to go back to, you mentioned uh, Bike Town, which is the city's sort of bike share program. But like, I'm curious about the idea of ownership versus treating e-bikes more like uh, uh, public transit. So I was talking with our newsletter editor, Rachel Monahan, who is an e-bike rider. And she was saying like, you know, I've spent so much money maintaining my e-bike. It's like, it's really expensive. And she said that a lot of times there's these incentives where people think like, if you own it, then it becomes this thing that is still kind of for like a privileged class of people that can afford to maintain it and, and store it as opposed to um, what the bike town bikes are doing, which is treating it mm -hmm. more like actually public transit, more like something that is just out there for anyone in the community to use when they have it. I, I wonder what you think about that. Yeah, well, I'm a huge advocate, and I think the Bike Town Bike Share system, it is essentially a public transit system, and I'm a huge mm -hmm. fan. I think, you know, it's great to have that as well. I think people really do well when they have options. We need twice, three times as many Bike Town bikes as we have now. I know the city just expanded it, but it's not nearly enough to really blanket the city. I'd love to see that. Uh, people just uh, are going to want to not own a bike for some reason, right? And having that rental option is really cool. But in terms of, you know, are they going to be expensive to maintain? Again, whenever we have these conversations, I think it's important for people to think about uh, how they interact with cars and what mm. it is like to own a car. And that is the, I don't know what the latest research is. Is it the second highest expense for families in America uh, behind their house, right? So cars are exorbitantly expensive to use. So when you're talking about e-bike e maintenance, it's not going to be anywhere near what it would be if you're using your car, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in, in terms of getting it into the shop and stuff like that. But e-bikes do pose some different uh, service and maintenance issues that people may not be familiar with. And I think we have to just hope that the sort of like ecosystem of support around e-bikes continues to improve and that we get more shops that are good at working on e-bikes and stuff like that because bikes have gotten way more high tech and that's not necessarily a great thing because I think traditionally the attraction for a lot of folks is that bikes are just so simple, you yeah, know, which, which yeah. made them cheap, which made them, you can just lube the chain and be good. Uh, with with e-bikes and some of the tech that's on them, that's not necessarily the case, right? If it breaks, you're probably not going to be able to work on it in your in your garage. That means you're going to be really accountable to a shop. Hopefully, you have one nearby that you can get it into. So this is new stuff that's start that's continuing to evolve, and it's just like kind of part of the conversation is like how to make them work as good as possible for as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's interesting because on one hand, e-bikes fit way better with the existing infrastructure that we have because since they're more stable, because they can go a little bit faster, they actually like are a lot more comfortable to ride on a road where there is traffic going by as well. You're a little bit more evenly matched. But on the other hand, you're saying like, well, I hope you have a bike shop nearby. I hope you have somebody who can work on it. Hope that place isn't backed up six months with other repairs because everybody bought a e-bike a year ago <laughs> yeah. and they're all breaking like are there other sort of infrastructure things that we need to be thinking about that need to get implemented to really make this change 
Oh, absolutely, for sure. Right now, the state and the city are a little bit behind on some of the code language and some of the legal language around where certain types of electric bikes can ride and where they can't ride. Uh, and even in Portland, uh, people don't realize this, but but things like Waterfront Park, the East Bank Esplanade, Springwater Corridor, those are not managed by the transportation department. Those are Portland Parks and Rec which has a different, you know, sort of approach to how they regulate those spaces. And I would say is maybe not as bike friendly of an approach. So I don't know if they've ironed out the wrinkle around whether the city ordinances actually allow e-bikes on there. It's kind of a moot point because everybody's <laughs> riding them on there anyway, but it really comes down to, you know, are people riding safely or not? You know, I am definitely not one that's going to say we need to do any kind of like speed limit stuff like that. It's just really, th the thing is, people have the capability with these e-bikes to go way too fast. Yeah, and, and I will say, I hear two things about e-bikes all the time. One, oh my God, I bought an e-bike. It changed my life. It's amazing. Or two, I'm like a lifelong cyclist and I hate these e-bikes so, so, so yes. much. Right, 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 right. <laughs> because yes. they're just zipping by me with their throttle on. Yep. I mean, talk to me about e-bike etiquette, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of all over the map, right? I mean, like, and we can't forget too that because e-bikes look a little bit bigger and have this like fuselage, they're even harder to tell apart from what are essentially like some of the times those like gas powered things that are on some of the bike paths. And there's a lot of e-bike stuff that's just like garage tinkerers or getting motors from China and they're hopping them up and like souping them up. I mean, it's hard to regulate that kind of stuff and, you know, keep people off certain paths, but it's kind of a, a big mix. I think all we can do is just kind of try to, you know, do the best to set the kind of like regulatory environment and modeling so that people are, are chill and good. And again, it comes back to like, look at the kind of stuff that we're dealing with on our roads with, with all kinds of different drivers doing all kinds of crazy things. I mean, you know, from street racing to, you know, blowing through stop signs and speeding and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let me ask you a sort of uh, a parallel philosophical question about e-bikes. Is riding an e-bike cheating? Oh, this really puts me on the spot. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Jonathan. <laughs> I always am honest when I talk to the media and I have to say, I do think they are cheating and this is going to get me in so much trouble. Uh, but I think I can say that because first of all, I ride an e-bike. I ride an e-bike myself. Um, and I use, I like to use sometimes very liberal interpretation of words and it's, they are cheating. They essentially give you free energy. Okay. So I know usually the cheating comments are, are made in, in the context of, you know, der being derogatory and criticizing. That's not where I'm coming from folks that know me. That's the last thing I'm going to do in the cycling world is spread, mm. spread negative criticism and stuff like that. I've been using mine almost exclusively, um, just for various reasons. And it's great that I can get to work stuff really quick. You know, I can yeah. be at an event six miles away and get home and, you know, a very little amount of time and I'm not sweating. That's wonderful. But some of the physical effort and what that does in terms of endorphins and just your, your mental and physical health, I think are, are missing in a lot of ways from, from some of the e-bike riding. Now, the other thing is you can ride them any way you want. You can put it on a very low setting and still get more of a workout if you want. Or like me, if you're, if you're like always in a hurry, you can just zip around and basically I never break a sweat, which is really, really bad. And like, my health has suffered because of that, because of this cheating bike I have, but you know. Oh, but but it's hard to go back. It's hard, it is hard to go back, you know. <laughs> the cheating conversation is annoying to me too, because as bike sort of advocate type of person, we're always forced to argue on certain, in certain grounds. And it's like, why don't we ever talk about the cheating that is driving a car or the exactly. cheating that's taking the yeah. bus or the cheating that's, you know, doing anything else that people do. So uh, anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I'm curious what you think about what needs to happen to make sure that these are implemented in an equitable way, you know, where it doesn't just become a sort of 
tax write-off for fancy people who would buy a $2,000 bike anyways, um, and also to make sure that it's supporting local businesses, uh, that people aren't just going on Amazon and, you know, buying up their e-bikes cheap. Yeah, well, I think the answer to this is really like, you know, it's up to us to make sure we have good governance on stuff. And if, if folks look into the statewide bill, for instance, which is probably going to be the most consequential one, that bill has been significantly changed and modified since it came out a couple months ago. And they did that because specifically because they wanted to make sure the language captured some of the low income needs that people brought up. So that is part of it is making sure that there are guardrails around, you know, who can get them and who's who's getting the money. I think that's a that's a huge part of it. And the bike shop thing, I believe there's language in the bill, the state statewide bill that you cannot get it online, that you do have to go mm. to a local bike shop. And that was a big one because there was some fear early that some of the large online, you know, online only uh, brands would oppose the bill. I don't think that's materialized, uh, but it certainly could, I suppose, if it even got closer to passage, we'll have to see. But that is something that the folks that are writing, writing the bill uh, are aware of, and they're making sure that it is bought from a brick and mortar store. Mm. Well, I guess my last question is, let's say you are out on the road and you're riding your old uh, leg-powered bicycle and someone on a shiny e-bike just blazes past you. What are you supposed to feel? I feel really good. I'm like, this is cool. I'd probably, I'd probably be like, yo, man, be careful, you know, because if you're going that fast. You hope do, you're wearing a helmet. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hey, be careful, bro. Like, don't get hurt. Right. Like, you hope you're in control of that thing. But I'd be super psyched. I love it. I got no beef with people going faster than me. Uh, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. And if people get where they need to go faster on a bike, I'm all for it. Uh, we all can learn something from you, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you, John. And now for your microdose of news. Your trip to the Oregon DMV could soon get a lot more expensive as the Oregon Department of Transportation tries to avoid a looming budget shortfall. House Bill 2100 would hike the cost of some driver tests and renewal fees. For instance, if the bill passes, a regular driver's license test could jump from $9 to $45. And Portland police are warning of an especially dangerous batch of street drugs circulating after a string of overdoses this past weekend. There were eight overdose deaths between Friday and Sunday, which police believe were caused by a batch of cocaine that was either laced with fentanyl or was itself pure fentanyl. For even more local news and events, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw a link in the show notes. Well, that's all for us today here on CityCast Portland. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, leave us a rating or a review? I'm John Natariani, in for Claudia Meza. We'll be back tomorrow morning with much more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. <laughs>